0: Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill-Smith, and this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. <laughs> dumb, da-dum, dumb, dum dum da-dum, dumb, da-dum, dumb
1: Welcome to episode 73. We made it a whole nother
0: episode. We just keep <laughs> making them, Jen. And you guys just keep listening to them. So thank Sorry you. Sorry
1: to just hear my, I just zipped up my jacket a little more.
0: Right. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I just I quote, usually zip my, my jacket, jacket in the middle
0: of the night. <laughs> when I wake up sneaky, in the morning, sneaky. I just zip my jacket <laughs> after a big meal zip <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh so it was kind of a crazy week Jen yeah we were supposed to see each other on
0: Wednesday but instead there was a tropical storm that holy came moly tropical storm Zeta 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 Catherine Zeta Jones think- <laughs> tropical
1: storm Catherine Zeta Jones do you think that was the last one since it's a Z
0: yeah, I guess. I who knew that all these tropical storms were happening, and this is but. the first one I'm hearing of this year. <laughs> but, um, and I don't think we ever really get tropical storms in Georgia,
1: not often. This is, I don't yeah, think.
0: but I really truly didn't think it was going to be a big deal at all. Everybody was telling me, um, you oh, know, getting ready for the big storm. I was like, no, I've had enough. This year,
1: <laughs> no, I'm going to That's sit this tropical storm out.
0: Enough, <laughs> and uh, then it got pretty scary. And then, luckily, I know I checked on you. You still had power. We still had power. Yep. It went out for a second, but came back on immediately. But then I was thinking. The next morning, I got up and I started walking down the street, and it was like, holy fuck! There were trees yeah. smashed on my neighbors' houses. And then there were electric power lines down. There were telephone poles laid across the street.
1: Yeah. One of our friends was like, yeah, we're not we're not supposed to get power back until November 1st.
0: Yeah. So their power's
1: out and it's not coming back on. All the traffic lights around us are out. It's yeah. crazy. It's just
0: like pandemonium out there. It's pandemonium. It's pandemonium. Pandemic. <laughs> and
1: Jen and I had signed up to take an outdoor distanced yoga class for that evening. The one time we try to do something, the
0: one time we try to get physical. (laughs) We're like, oh, I guess we can't. (laughs) Oh, well. And then we found out that the class was actually still happening and we're like, oh, but I thought it was going to be canceled. So I already prepared to not do yoga. So I still can't go. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry.
1: My mind has already shifted into my couch. <laughs> I'm already eating
0: food. Uh, so yeah, oh, that was yeah,
1: it was nuts. So I, if any of our listeners in Georgia, or any, I mean, I know all. It kind of went just up this line from Louisiana on up. But uh, I hope you guys are doing all right. And um, if you guys, if you know, if you need anything, let us know. Let I'll us know. Call Georgia Power to see about getting your power back you on.
0: Can come charge um, your phones at our house.
1: Yep, come charge your
0: phones. Yeah.
1: All right, let's get into some quickies, dude. Let's do it. Your first, ma'am.
0: All right. So my cookie for this week came from this really cool article for people.com written by Alex Warner. And right. the article is called, Celebrity couples can't stop wearing these matching face masks that are less than $2 <laughs> each they just can't stop. They tried and they can't. No, uh, so can't. I'm not, this is not my quickie, but this is a real article, a real article about Someone celebrities such as Katie Holmes and Emilio Vitalo Jr. Well, I don't mm. even know who that is. And here you go, you also have Justin Bieber and his wife, Haley Baldwin. They just can't stop wearing... <laughs> matching face masks that are less than $2 each. Well, Jen, give me
1: the scoop about these face masks. I'm curious I mean,
0: there's really not much to it, except for they just can't stop (laughs) wearing these face masks. (laughs) Um, I'm, I guess it's like – I'm sure this is one big giant ad for it. It's called Evolve Together's Masks that are designed with three layers of material that perform very specific functions. Um, <laughs> I'll let you guys read this article. I just thought I needed to uh, bring it up because it was – the art, the headline was so funny to me.
1: Oh, my God. But I'm yeah, not I mean, going to do you guys what? like Who, that. Somebody – Wrote that headline, and they are either dumb or smart as shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you clicked on it because you're like, this is ridiculous, and you're like, I gotta see what this is.
0: I know, and now I know all about all these face masks. It's crazy, and I can't stop looking at all these. And
1: they can't stop looking, and they can't stop wearing them.
0: And all these beautiful pictures of these gorgeous people covering their faces.
1: <laughs> Can't stop one. Can't stop.
0: stop. Um, okay, so my real quickie for this week comes from um, a news story for CBS local for Los Angeles, written by mm-hmm. the CBS LA staff. You think they all got together? <laughs> yeah, and all the staff sat around. <laughs> Everyone wrote one sentence and then everybody. from there this article is about a 23 year old named Brittany mohammedy this is a a dumb criminal story yay a 23 year old named uh, britney mohammedy who was arrested alongside her 26 year old boyfriend manuel artiega this past sunday for attacking airline agents when they wouldn't allow them to board a plane from Miami to LAX on the video. There's a video of it too. Of course, everybody whipped out their cell phones. They were, they wouldn't let the couple right. on the, on the flight. They had been out drinking. They were at, according to them, a Versace's nightclub or something and drinking <laughs> tequila. Yeah. Tequila. Yeah. That's how they kept saying it and high-fiving tequila. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so they weren't allowed on the flight, and they got very irate. So she actually – she, Brittany, jumped over the desk, jumped onto the desk and lunged towards the airline attendants. And so she was – they were quickly escorted out – of the airport by police officers who were actually being very chill about the situation and letting them walk out. But then her and her boyfriend sat there with their cell phones recording the police officers and the police officers were just (laughs) walking them out of out of the airport while they screamed at them. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, Manuel put his arm around Britney as if to choke her. And when they got outside and that's when the police stepped in and like pulled him off her and Threw them to the ground, and that's when they were arrested and handcuffed and taken to jail. They're already out, obviously, because they they were um, doing an interview for this news story, which they they seem very happy. Uh, she said, uh, Brittany said it's a lesson learned. I'm obviously going to be better from it." There's so many people that have done so much worse things on alcohol. They are facing charges including disorderly conduct and intoxication, resisting arrest, and battery of a police officer. But here's the thing. And this was all from American Airlines. The, the reason yeah. that American Airlines wouldn't let her on the plane was not because of her drunkenness. It was because Brittany wasn't wearing shoes. <laughs> and Brittany's, <laughs> response, Brittany's response was, how was I supposed to know I was supposed to wear shoes? I don't fly on these planes all the time. How was I supposed <laughs> to know? Tequila, yeah. Yeah to kill <laughs> i will definitely be posting this video to the patreon by the way but yeah the whole thing is hilarious oh. but she i think they're definitely taking this moment they're he's shirtless with sunglasses on in the video and she is still in her like going out clothes she seems very proud of herself and thinks the whole thing is pretty hilarious
1: wait so he's in the airport with no shirt or he's just in the inter- video. Interviewed it, he's no interviewed
0: shirt? with no shirt, but he definitely had a shirt on at the airport. So I don't know at <laughs> what point he lost the shirt. Now the they shirt. don't have shirt or shoes. How are they gonna get back home? <laughs> I don't know. Oh man. Yeah. I can't wait to
1: see that video. It's pretty That's funny. amazing. <laughs> okay, so my quickie is uh is also kind of a funny one about people who are about to get arrested. Oh, man. Okay. So this is from the Daily Mail by Valerie Edwards and NOLA.com by Ramon Antonio Vargas and Sarah Pagones. Okay. So on September 30th, a random person was passing by the Saints Peter and Paul Roman Catholic Church right outside of New Orleans and noticed that the lights were on even though it was late at night. And so they were curious, so they went and looked inside, and what they saw was a man dressed as a priest having sex with yeah. two women who were dressed as dominatrices, which apparently is oh. the plural of dominatrix. Who <laughs> no. knew? On the altar of wow. the church. So the witness said the women were dressed in corsets and wearing high heeled boots, and there was also stage lighting, sex toys, and a cell phone on a tripod <gasps> on the altar. So they were filming it, and so this person was worried that someone had broken in and was now filming some kind of religious porn. The witness took a video and then reported the incident to the police, but it turned out that no one had broken in because the man who was dressed as a priest <gasps> actually the priest? the priest. It was coming from inside <laughs> the house the whole time. It was coming from inside oh the house. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so he is 37-year-old Reverend Travis Clark. He was wow. ordained in t- 2013 and had served as a priest at that church. He also served as the chaplain of Pope John Paul II High School oh, in Slidell, Louisiana. Yeah. Apparently, the person who had served as a chaplain before him got fired because he was sending sexy photos <gasps> to students. So... Oh. They got the problem there, so the women were identified, but I'm not going to say their names because they didn't do anything wrong. One is an adult film actress from Kent, Washington, and another woman is from right here in Alpharetta, Georgia. And apparently, uh, Travis Clark contacted them via the intranets where one of the women works as a dominatrix for hire. And she actually posted on her social media before the incident, she said, I'm traveling to New Orleans with another dominatrix to, quote, defile a house of God. Wow. So all three were arrested on obscenity charges because they were in view of the public. And after the incident, they've all been released on bond, but after the incident, Gregory Amond, who's the Archbishop of the New Orleans Archdiocese, visited the church to perform a ritual to restore the sanctity of the altar because it's the most sacred of church spaces. And uh, he said, what upsets me the most is why did they have to do it there? I'm obsessed for all of us, the parishioners of the church. Why? Why there?" there?
0: Hi there. Oh, man, that doesn't surprise me, though, in New Orleans. <laughs> and that's no disrespect to New Orleans. New Orleans is my favorite city, by the way. It's my favorite city. Yeah. I got married there. I love it. I So I, I meant that in a fun way. <laughs> <laughs> I meant that in a fun way. You're all degenerates. Like, yeah. In, the, in yeah. the most fun way. <laughs> now, people like always tell me, like, If you love if you love New Orleans, you would really love Charleston because Charleston is like all the beauty of New Orleans without any of the grit. And I'm like, that's why I like New Orleans.
1: I (laughs) like the grit. grit. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So oh man, that's a good one. So that's McQuicki. Good one, too. Two quickies, man. Come back strong. You guys are welcome. We brought it. All right, don't don't. I even gave you that an extra bonus quickie with that whole face mask thing. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, thank you. you. (laughs) Okay, so are you ready, Sally, for Mm -hmm. a crazy story? Okay, I'm ready. Great, great. This information came from an article for Everipedia? everipedia it's this new thing i never heard of it but it was very helpful all right thank you everipedia and then abc7newyork.com an article for them it doesn't say who wrote it and then also an episode of 2020 2020 2020. april kaufman was born and raised in new jersey um have you been sally
1: i sure have i sure have been to jersey me too i used to work at a summer camp in new jersey did you really? Yep, it was great. Uh, it was called Camp Mason. It was right like on the Delaware Water Gap, and then we would go to the Jersey Shore on the weekends, and oh, it was great. I loved
0: it. I I loved the Jersey Shore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she she actually was born in Atlantic City, but then she grew up around the shore for most of her life mm-hmm. and lived around the Jersey Shore area. She unfortunately had a really rough childhood. At the age of 11, um, her mother had to put her and her brothers and sister brothers and sister up for adoption. Oh. I know. And so they were all separated. She ended up being raised by her grandmother while her s- siblings were all placed in foster care. Man. I'm sure th- that must have been horrible. Yeah. But despite her difficult upbringing, she was actually a very warm and loving person. All of her friends said that she was everybody's best friend. Yeah. As well. You know, just like a kind, warm-hearted, really outgoing, mm-hmm. fun New Jersey girl. And at 17, April got married and she gave birth to her first daughter named Kimberly. April, even though she was just 17 years old, she was a wonderful mother and yeah. she loved her daughter more than anything. They were they were inseparable. They were like best friends, you know. They
1: were like and, the Gilmore um, girls.
0: Totally like the Gilmore Girls. Despite being such a young mother, she worked so hard to make sure that she was providing a great life for her and her daughter. Mm-hmm. While she dropped out of school when she got married and got pregnant, she did get go get her GED. She opened a salon. She started a catering company. Dang. She opened a cafe. And on top of that, she did a ton of charity work. Like, she was an amazing person. Yeah. And she also loved – she loved fun, Sally. Unlike, <laughs> Sally, I know, she loved fun, um, and she. But she had a really big love for motorcycles. She liked to, you know, ride fast and yeah. live a little dangerously. She just loved to ride. I, I motorcycles scare the crap out of me. Yeah, me too. And her daughter on the show, her daughter Kimberly said that, you know, that the bike scared her too. That she said that her mom would offer her money. Be like, I won't give you 300 dollars if you just ride on the back of my motorcycle. And she was like, No, I'm not getting on your motorcycle. <laughs> Stop asking so, me, get on your motorcycle. Mom, God. So April was a radio host for W I G B F M. And um, what? Do you know she's radio? I know. She was, she had a show in between the hours of 2 and 4 p.m. and people just loved her. She was this like lovable Jersey girl with razor sharp wit and she talked about everything from politics to one thing that she was really passionate about was she was always campaigning for the better treatment of veterans. That was sort of her platform. She yeah. was very she felt very passionately about veterans and she did a lot of charity work to make sure that they got quality health care. She thought of veterans as the most ultimate heroes and that they needed to be treated as such, yeah. you know. So that was something that she talked about a lot on her radio show and people, you know, loved her for that. She actually was married and divorced two times before she ended up meeting a doctor named Jim Kaufman. He was an endocrinologist. A doctor. A doctor, Dr. Jim Kaufman, he was a dream match for her because he was a war hero oh. and he was a vet. He was a Green Beret in the military. He had purple hearts and medals. He was a doctor and he also drove a Harley. So it was like he – Right. He loved motorcycles. He was a vet. You know, just like a dream for her. Yeah. Yeah. They said she treated veterans like a hero, so she really looked at him like he was a hero. He also fought in the Vietnam War. Dr. Kaufman and April were married on Valentine's Day in 2003, and they lived together in a nice upscale town um, outside of, the Atlantic City boardwalk called Linwood, New Jersey. Okay. And her daughter, Kim, you know, was very impressed by him as well. And she had to do a project for college about veterans. And she asked him if he would agree to be interviewed for it. And he did, but he told her that, like, I'll do this, but you have to promise me you'll never tell your mom about the stories that I'm going to tell you. Because they were pretty gruesome stuff. So he told her all these stories for her project about ambushes, his comrades being stabbed, his missions to go in and recover dog tags of the men that died so that he could bring them home to their parents. Yeah. So April and Jim were really... Well known in the community and very well liked, you know, he was a well known doctor. And she was a celebrity radio host that people loved, you know, so they were kind of big in the social circles. Yeah. They lived happily in Linwood, New Jersey, for about 10 years. And every day, Jim, their ritual is that Jim would leave early in the morning, you know, before the sun got up to go to his medical practice. And then around 8.30 a.m. every day, he would call April just to touch base. But on Thursday, May 10th of 2012, when he called April, she didn't answer. Yeah. Yeah. And he tried calling a few more times, and when she didn't answer, he got nervous, so he asked his handyman to go over and check on her. When his handyman uh, handyman went over to their house, he let himself in, and he went up the stairs into the couple's bedrooms, and that's when he made a horrifying discovery. Oh. Mm-hmm. April was laying there dead at 47 years old. Just 47. That's so young. Um, I know. She had been shot multiple times in her own home. And so the handyman immediately called the police and then called Dr. Kaufman. And, you know, of course, he was devastated. And then Dr. Kaufman called April's daughter, Kim, Mm -hmm. to break the devastating news. Kim. Of course, horrified, rushed to her mother's house. By the time she got there, everything was taped off as a crime scene. Yeah. There were helicopters flying overhead. It was just a crazy, crazy scene. But Kim walked right up to the investigators and said, you can go right over there because that's the person that killed my mom. And the person that she was pointing at was her stepdad, Dr. Jim Kaufman. (gasps) Yeah. So Kim told the investigators that their marriage was not at all what it had looked like, that it was very rocky, and she told them that they both had had extramarital affairs, both April and Jim had. And she said that Jim was very cold to her and that she didn't trust him. She told them that she had watched as he, over the years, had started to control her mom through money and other little shows of control like if Kim and April were in a room talking he would just walk in and then shut the lights off and then leave like ju- like as if to say like stop talking to right. each other stop, stop talking, talking to your daughter. your daughter yeah she said that her mother just a month earlier had told her that she was starting to get her ducks in a row to be able to leave him Um, to get like all of her finances and stuff in order because Jim would threaten her by saying like, there's no way you're going to leave me and take half of my empire. Empire. Who the fuck are you? She knew that it wasn't going to be an easy out. So she needed to kind of prepare for it. Right. And she said that her mother told her that Jim had actually threatened to kill her several times, but always said, but he would never have the guts. And- What's crazy is that on April's very last radio show that she recorded, the very last show, for some reason, the topic that she talked about was about like what her life legacy was.
1: Oh, really? She talked,
0: yeah, as if she knew that her life was coming to an end. She talked about, you know, all I want to leave my daughter and my grandchildren is with this, and I want them to know that I love them. And, like, think, it was just really strange. Yeah. And then within days of April dying, Dr. Jim Kaufman... All of a sudden, lawyers up with one of the biggest lawyers in town. His name is Ed Jacobs. This lawyer, and he was known for representing criminals and mob members. He was like a high profile. He, um, he even defended Bill Cosby at one point. Oh, just like a real piece of shit. (laughs) So, um, so how guilty does everybody
1: deserves representation? Mm,
0: Not criminals and mob guys and Bill Cosby. (laughs) <laughs> but so but how guilty does that look that your wife dies and then you go get a lawyer and it's a, like a criminal what law- well, were
1: they already questioning him
0: he had hired the lawyer to speak on behalf of him and i mean so- i
1: would say as a former attorney as a, mm-hmm. as a former lawyer that listen i feel like we know where this is headed this guy's a piece of shit Right. Uh so yes, it does look guilty, but so also I don't give it
0: away. Oh, sorry.
1: I mean, <laughs> I have no idea what happened. It was there's probably be a twist. Um but listen, if you are arrested, you should get a lawyer before you talk to the police. Don't talk to well, the police without a lawyer.
0: Yes, if you're arrested, but if you're Spouse dies. Do you go get a lawyer?
1: Well, if they're gonna bring you in for questioning, and you know it's probably gonna be like they're probably questioning because the husband is the one who usually, you know, it's okay, always a suspect. Yeah. If you're a suspect,
0: all right, fine, talk to I'll the let him. Lawyer, I'll I'm let saying. him have this. I'll let him have this. Let
1: him have this. But one. I'm just telling. I'm um, telling our listeners. Okay. Don't think – always get a lawyer.
0: Okay. Don't talk to the police. She just wants to make money from you. This is all just about <laughs>
1: making money. Also, don't call me because I don't know shit. <laughs> just
0: <kidding. laughs> um, But here's the thing. Jim actually was not considered a suspect because he had an alibi. He was seen on cameras at a convenience store at the same time that she was murdered. Oh, so convenient. I guess they definitely looked into him. But yeah, couldn't get it. Uh-huh. Convenience. And so Jim had actually had a conversation with Kim, April's daughter, and told her that, listen, you needed to drop this and you need to realize that this case will probably never be solved and just move on with your life. What? And Kim was like, fuck you, dude. She didn't really say that. She may have said that, but it was like, I will never stop. Yeah. I'm like, I'm never – and I'm going to prove that you had something to do with this. And that was the last time that she ever spoke to him. And on the one year anniversary of April's death, Kim held a candlelight vigil for her mother that many people attended, including many veterans that she had advocated for, family and friends, obviously. But the one person that did not show up to the vigil was her husband of 10 years, Jim Kaufman. Yeah. Why didn't he show up? That's what I Do would you like to know. Want to know where he was? Yes. He was at an auction auctioning off all of April's belongings. (gasps) Yeah. So basically he's just like a piece of shit. Like, I don't care if I look
1: guilty. Yeah. You just can't prove it. Which is just so crazy.
0: Yeah. I think that he thought that because he was a prominent doctor and he had money and he had, um, I'm sure he had some political ties and they weren't pressing into him. I think he probably, they probably weren't looking into him for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. He probably had some political ties to where they just, like, let him be. So he probably thought that he was untouchable. But him auctioning off all of her belongings was a huge slap in the face to Kim, her daughter, because she wanted things that were right. from her mother, like family heirlooms. And this is this part made me so sad when she said, and just like Disney mugs from a trip that they no. had taken, you know, right. like just like those little things like that remind you, you of your mom's else. house. Yeah. Yeah. And he wouldn't let her have any of it. Ugh. And then just 15 months after his wife's murder, he remarries a woman named carol weintraub they said on 2020 they said that you know the people that didn't like him were like what the hell you're getting married 15 months after you know but then the people that supported jim were like he's his widow let him be happy you know mm-hmm. so i mean i know that some people do get married that quickly yeah, yeah. i think men generally
1: get remarried or find somebody quicker very quickly after yeah. their spouse dies
0: yeah but I still don't like this guy. Right. But um, but what really set Kim off was when he ended up going after her mother's $600,000 life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. So Kim then hired a lawyer and she filed a wrongful death suit against him to try to keep him from collecting on the policy because she thought this was my only way of – trying to stop him or to get more information out of him sort of thing, you know, because in order to, in during a wrongful death suit, he would have to stand trial. Yeah. She was completely just determined to fight for her mother and it wasn't an easy fight. Five years passed and there hadn't been any movement on the case of who killed April Kaufman. Um, It just seemed like it was something that had been totally forgotten, even though her and her lawyers were very much, trying to look for answers and to prove he was involved. yeah. But then, after the five years had passed, Damon Tyner, who was a Superior Court judge, was then sworn in to be Atlantic City's first Black prosecutor in history. He was the son of a prominent police officer. He grew up in Atlantic City. He loved the city, and he just vowed. He was just like a good guy politician that was yeah. like, I'm going to clean up this city. Yeah. And Yeah, he was so great. So he decided to reexamine all open Atlantic County murder cases dating all the way back to 1975. He was like, wow. I'm going to solve all these crimes that were not. Solve. <laughs> I am personally going to solve. Yeah. All the <laughs> <laughs> well, he apparently he asked his staff which cases in Atlantic City did they think were the most solvable, and, uh-huh. and he said that unanimously, all of them said the murder of April Kaufman he was determined to now help solve this case. And so he agreed to meet with Kim and her lawyers to hear out their case, which, you know, of Kim was thrilled, you know, that after five years, she finally has somebody that cares. Right. And so they went over to his office and over 3 hours they showed him all of the evidence that they had and the biggest piece of evidence that they had was Dr. Kaufman's testimony from when he was in court for the wrongful death suit. It was uh-huh. 4 hours worth of testimony where they got him to admit that he had um that he owned many guns and then it showed him like really bad acting like crocodile tears over his wife being murdered. Just like you can tell like this guy's a fucking liar. And the kicker was that when they asked him because he was under oath and they knew that they could, he knew that they could prove this. This is something that he could, he knew he was caught under oath. They asked him if he had ever served in the military, you know, this big war hero. (gasps) And he said, no. And then they said, have you ever received a purple heart? or any of these uh-huh. awards that you said that you received. And he said, yeah. no. And he was never a green beret. He had never been a war hero. He had never been to Vietnam. He was never in the fucking military. He lied about all of it. And Jesus. the whole story that he had told Kim for her college project, obviously all bullshit. And so, right. So the video just shows that he is a liar and can't be trusted. You know, what else is he lying about? Obviously. And I'm sure that his wife, who fought for veterans, didn't know that he was full of shit. Did she find out maybe and he killed her? Who knows? You know what I mean? So it just like it, it was a lot of enough evidence to make him reopen the case. But another thing, too, was that when they asked him who he thought killed April, he said, I don't know, maybe one of the veterans that she worked for or maybe a member of the pagan motorcycle gang. So the Pagan Motorcycle Gang. So, you know, April rode rode motorcycles. So he was suggesting that April got caught up with this motorcycle gang that was a bunch of criminal motorcyclists in Uh Atlantic City. He was saying that it was probably one of them that killed her. But right. either way, like I said, it was enough to convince Prosecutor Damon Tyner to reopen the case. But before the, that even happened, before they were they even went to trial to reopen it, a tip comes into the FBI regarding insurance fraud at Doctor uh-huh. Kaufman's clinic. Yeah, man, you know it's like when you're when you're
1: lying about that many yeah. things. I mean, it's just like yeah. everything. Like you, you know, it's like that's
0: just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, yeah. So. Here's what's crazy okay. is that so when the investigate so investigators got a search warrant to search his office you know about these insurance uh-huh. scams on June 13, 2017 when they show up to his clinic just to search the office Jim sees the police and totally freaks out and he goes and runs back into his practice and he gra- grabs a nine millimeter gun what? yes and then he comes out of the of the office with all these police officers, you know, now they have their guns drawn because he runs out with a gun and he's threatening to kill himself. And he's saying, I'm not going to jail for this. I'm not going to jail for this. So he thinks they're there because of April's murder, but really they're just there because of insurance. And so after a 45 minute standoff, they were finally able to get him to put the gun down and then they were able to arrest him. But now they know like this guy's guilty as fuck. And so when they searched his office, they seized more weapons, and they found $100,000 in cash. So they were able to put him in jail on a weapons charge on weapons charges. Mm -hmm. And then they wouldn't let him post bail because of his behavior threatening to commit suicide.
1: Right, I think when you have a standoff with yeah, the police, you're, then... yeah,
0: you're kind of a effect. So they ha- they were able to hold them in jail on the weapons charges, but now they're they have this opportunity to look further into the murder of April Kaufman, and so a break yeah. in the case came when a witness came forward that Dr. Kaufman had approached them about killing his wife, and it was well,
1: what, what, wait, hold on, I know to that? for
0: five years. And now you're just saying Come something? On. And so it was a former member of the Pagan Motorcycle Club. If you remember, that's the people that he, I just, right. I just said. He had like. <laughs> I, do I don't remember. know what I wrote. I, I wrote it. in my uh, <laughs> writing, I said, and, and if you remember, that's who that, and I'm like, I literally just said <laughs> that. I That was pointless. I didn't need to do that. So anyway, bad writing on my part. Um, so anyway, um, the, this person the, from the motorcycle club that, you know, said that they, he had approached them about killing his wife also told them that Dr. Kaufman was writing them fraudulent opioid prescriptions and then the pagans were uh-huh. selling them. So he was all part of a major opioid drug ring or as um, Nancy Grace, who is also on the show, referred to it uh-huh. as a peel meal. A peel meal. Drug ring. a peel meal. (laughs) A peel meal. (laughs) I just love the way she said it. She's like, Are you kidding me? A peel meal. (laughs) Nancy. Anyway, (laughs) he was part of this drug ring. And when April Kaufman found out about the drug ring, she threatened to expose him. And that's why he was trying to kill her. Or, um, or decided to have her killed, and he ended up paying okay. one of the pagans twenty thousand dollars to kill her for him. And the hitman's name was um, Francis Mulholland. What's crazy is he died a year after the murder from an opioid overdose, which was prescribed. <gasps> it all fucking comes yeah. around, and the opioids were prescribed by Jim Kaufman. Oh, yeah.
1: God. Do you think he prescribed him like a, a
0: lethal dose? A bad batch? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I mean, probably. But, not, but... I mean, he probably was just like, I'm going to keep this guy good and fucked up, you know? Right. So as they started to get ready for the trial, prosecutor Damon Tyner was worried that he might. Be killed or silenced by one of the gang members, so he moved him to a facility at eight at the Hudson County Correctional Facility to get him away. But in January of 2018, Dr. James Kaufman ended up hanging himself in his jail cell with a laundry cord. And he left behind a long letter saying that, oh, he just couldn't live with himself, or not live with himself, but he couldn't live with the fact that he was being accused for this horrible crime, that he would never kill his wife. Mm -hmm. It was six pages long. And he just, and he paints this whole picture that he was wrongfully accused and that it was april that brought him into this world with a motorcycle gang and then when they found out he was a doctor they set him up and they forced him to write these prescriptions and they were the ones that killed april and he just couldn't live like this anymore you know he obviously took his own life which was devastating for kim because she wanted to see him stand trial and justice be served and he just took the coward's way out. And while they can no longer go after Jim Kaufman, they are going after members of the motorcycle gang that were involved. And in 2018, seven more people were arrested in connection to her death. All members of the Pagan motorcycle gang. Um, 61-year-old Ferdinand Aguelo. Can I tell was, you this whole time? I thought it was the pig
1: and motorcycle uh, <laughs> gang. <laughs> Pagan, <laughs> the pagan. Motorcycle do, you, do you think I would pronounce? Like, that's such a silly. Do you think thing <laughs> I would
0: pronounce pig? Peg. <laughs> it's a pagan motorcycle game. <laughs>
1: I was like, that's such a like a like a funny like a, a silly name for <laughs> like, a tender, like a,
0: a pig <laughs> riding on the back of a motorcycle. It's a pig. and hey, a motorcycle guy. I, I was picturing the, like,
1: <laughs> a, like on the back of their on the back of their jackets is just like eating pigs, like barbecue you know? ribs.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, that
0: was 100% what I was picturing the whole time. <laughs> oh, my God. You just don't um, know my accent. Okay. Gotcha. I never say that. <laughs> I say pig, not pig. Anyway. Um, pig. So the people pagan. that they arrested, all members of the pagan mm-hmm. motorcycle gang, mm-hmm. 61-year-old yep. Ferdinand Aguelo, 61-year-old Paul Pagno, 52-year-old Joseph Mulholland, 47-year-old Beverly Aguello. 37-year-old Glenn Sealer and 35-year-old Tabitha Chapman and 36-year-old Cheryl Pizza. Pizza? Um, pizza or pizza. My fam my mom's maiden name is Pizzo and right. it's spelled P I Z Z O but as Pizzo so but this looks like pizza it could be pizza or pizza. I,
1: I, just I don't got, know. <laughs> I just got excited. I just and heard so the word pizza and got excited. <laughs> <laughs>
0: really perked up there. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I, the, I just picture Did you ever watch Sons of Anarchy? No, I didn't. Oh, I really liked it a lot, mostly because of Jax. I think we talked about this, how I just didn't like his white shoes. I liked everything about Jax, but his white sneakers (laughs) were just like real turn off. (laughs) But anyway, so although Jim Kaufman was never convicted, Kim Pack is forever grateful to prosecutor Damon Tyner just for hearing her and believing her story and trying to fight for her. Right. And there is good news at the end of the story. April's friends, Lee Darby and Peg Boyle, who were good friends of hers, decided to raise money to try and buy back some of the items of April's that Jim had auctioned off so that they could get these items back to Kim.
1: Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah.
0: And then there was one item, which was this – It's. Uh, do you know what a limoges is? I don't know what a Limoges is. There are these tiny little trinkets, and they open up, and you can put stuff inside, like a, like a ring inside of it or something. They're very small, but they're okay. collector's items, and people collect them. They're all shaped like anything, really. It could be shaped like a shoe or a handbag or whatever. But this particular limoge was shaped like a little champagne bottle, and that was the first item that she was able to get back. Was this tiny little Limoges limoge that her mom collected, and inside the limoge. Was a note from her mother. And it said to Kimberly from mom, whenever you look at this, know that you are always loved. You are so special. Best wishes for the rest of your life. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing gift to have
1: after so long and oh my gosh that's amazing
0: I know and then her husband and children also bought her a bench in the neighborhood that they dedicated Mm -hmm. to her mother it's like at the end of the street they often will sit on the bench the whole family and they'll just sit on the bench together and you know just remember April and tell each other stories about April which is also very sweet that is very sweet I know I I want a bench when you die yeah when I die (laughs) No, just okay. Now
1: I just want a bench. No, oh. I always like. uh Yeah, I think I would. I always, whenever I see some a bench dedicated to someone, it just makes me so. I mean, it makes me sad and the happy. Well, give me a fucking bench, Sally.
0: When I murder <laughs> you, <laughs> I'm
1: gonna buy you a bench
0: afterwards. Thank you, and then dedicated me like to Sally. I got gotcha, you, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> But I bought you a bench. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my story. It's so sad, you know, and I feel so terrible for Kim. I'm glad that she was able to get some resolution at the
1: end of it. I mean, what like a testament to her mother that Kim was like such a fighter. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Would you like to hear a love story? I would. So this is a different kind of love story, it does have a romantic aspect, but it's mostly about the love of family. So Okay. Um, okay, so I got I'll my- I'll take it. You take I'll it. I'll allow. All right. <laughs> Thank you, because it's all I got. Uh, <laughs> so I got my information from I first found this in, in an article on the thegoodnewsnetwork.com, and then mm-hmm. I did some further research, and there's two really amazing articles about this story in the Washington Post by Katherine Talbert, and an article in the Pensacola News Journal by Jake Newby. Okay, so Air Force Colonel Bruce Hollywood, real name, was 45 the first time he thought seriously about finding his birth mother. He was in the parking lot of the Pentagon where he worked. It was very early in the morning before the sun came up, and as he got out of his car, he collapsed to the ground. He was having a heart attack, and he thought to himself, this is where it ends. no. And luckily, it wasn't the end. He would be just fine. But when he was in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, he thought about his life, and he thought about the woman who had given birth to him in Japan in 1960. So Bruce had been adopted by the Hollywoods, who were an American couple. They were stationed in Japan at the time. And he said, I always knew I was adopted because I had Asian features, and my father was an Irishman, and my mother was a Norwegian lady, and they always told me, we picked you out special, so you're even more special than everyone else, which is so sweet. His adoptive parents had always encouraged him to find his birth mother. They had told him his birth mother's family name. They had even offered to pay for a flight to Japan for him. But he had always said no. He said he never felt like something was missing in his life. His adoption wasn't something he even thought about very much. He had a really happy life and he loved his parents. Not that that means you don't go after your birth mother, but he really just didn't – wasn't super curious. But now – It was 2005. He was 45 years old, and both of his adoptive parents had passed away. And so after his heart attack, he suddenly felt the need to find his birth mother and not necessarily to have a relationship with her, but he wanted to thank her for the life she'd allowed him to have. So his plan was to write her a letter. He didn't want to surprise her in person in case she had never told anyone that she'd had a kid. And so he planned to write. I live the best life ever. I'm a colonel in the United States Air Force. I've got beautiful children and life is really good. So he contacted the Japanese embassy, but they couldn't find her. And then he contacted the U.S. embassy in Tokyo, who also couldn't locate her. And then he even hired a private detective, but no luck. So he just kind of resigned himself to not knowing. And he was okay with that. He was like, it was it was unfortunate, but also I didn't, you know, he wasn't missing anything. Mm-hmm. But then a few months later, he just happened to be at Dulles Airport. He was waiting for a plane. He was headed for a military conference in Germany. And he'd arrived at the airport early for his flight, so he was sitting at a wine bar. And then across from him was another man who was in uniform. And they both they struck up a conversation. And it turned out that this guy was going to the same conference. His name was Admiral Harry Harris. Yes, that's right. Okay, his name was See, Admiral. When you Harry said Harris. that, I pictured a <laughs> Harry Harris.
0: That's what I was picturing when you said that. Really, Harry Harris. <laughs> sorry harry keep going sorry well
1: he was the commander of the u.s forces in the pacific and he's actually now the u.s ambassador to south korea so uh i don't know why i was like so there (laughs) 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 point taken (laughs) so boom on you jen um so they started talking the two men started talking it turned out that harris's mother was also japanese So Bruce ended up telling him the story of trying to find his birth mother. And Admiral Harris was like, Bruce, I can help you. And Bruce was like, look, I know you're an admiral and all, but you can't. I've been to the embassy. I've tried this. You can't help. Mm -hmm. And uh, Admiral Harris was like, Bruce, seriously, I can help. And so Bruce kind of gave him the information he had. And he was like, I figured the admiral would hit a dead end just like I had But then 10 days later, Bruce was sitting at his desk at the Pentagon and the phone rang and it was a Japanese embassy. And they were like, we found your mother. Her name is Nobi Ochi. And Bruce was ecstatic. He was like, I need to start writing this letter that I have been dreaming about. And he asked the person at the embassy if they would help help him write the letter. He was like, I want it to be culturally sensitive. I want it to be accurate. And the person from the embassy was like, oh, no, no, no letter. She's going to call you at this number in 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Also, she doesn't speak English, <gasps> so good luck. <laughs> and Bruce was like, what? So luckily, Bruce worked at the Pentagon, and he was able to find an interpreter in those 10 minutes. And so when he answered the phone, he could hear his mother crying. oh And he was like in shock. He, he started Talking quickly, telling her how happy he is, how very grateful he was for his mother, his birth mother. And then he heard her say, I'm sorry, I don't speak English. And then for the next few minutes, he listened as his mother talked and the interpreter responded. And all he could make out was talking and sobbing. And finally, he was like, you have to tell me what she's saying. And so the interpreter said, well, tomorrow is your mother's 65th birthday And the birthday present that she dreamed about her whole life was that you would come back to her.
0: (gasps) Oh, my God. I
1: know. And the interpreter said his mother had never married because she said in her heart there was only room for one person, and it was you, and she knew you'd be back. Oh, my God. I know. And so she talked a little more. And then through the interpreter, Bruce learned that his mother ran her own business. She had a restaurant and bar that she had named Bruce.
0: Oh my god, that is so cute! I know. So it turned out that like, can you imagine gesture- finding that out that there was no. a, a restaurant named after you that your birth mother named after? Oh my gosh! Right, that she had been like, you know, you think who you don't you have no idea. I'm
1: sure as someone like you don't know what you're going to be stepping into. Like, did did my mother want me? Did she does she think about me? What? Yeah, how, what has her life been? It doesn't and always go that, that way. Woman- Yeah, knowing that this woman had held this love for you, I mean, it was 45, like and and named her restaurant after you. It turned out that Bruce's adopted mother had gone to Nobu before they had moved back to the United States, and she had given her a photograph of baby Bruce. And Mm. she told Nobu that they had named him Bruce, and she promised that she would give him a good life, and that's how she knew to name her restaurant Bruce. Mm. So 10 days after the phone call, Bruce went to visit Nobu in Shiaku, Japan, and that's when his mother gave him the full story of his birth and adoption. So in 1959, she had fallen in love with an American man who was in the military, and they were planning to get married. This man had even started the paperwork that they would have needed to marry her and to move to the States. But before they could finish the paperwork, he was shipped back home to South Carolina. And he promised Nobu that he would call her as soon as he arrived. But it was several months (gasps) before he called. Oh, how heartbreaking. I know. And by then, she didn't know she was married when he, or she was pregnant when he left. But by then, she had found out that she was pregnant. And so when he called, she was like, This is a man who can't be trusted. He didn't call for months. So she refused to talk to him. And he never ended up knowing about Bruce. Wow. So Nobu's father had actually offered to support her at the time and the baby, but she was worried about what being an unwed mother in 1960, particularly to a mixed race child, would mean for both her and the baby. Mm -hmm. So she gave up the baby for adoption to the Hollywoods. Mm -hmm. So on the first visit, Bruce's first visit to Japan, Nobu was so worried about him she wouldn't let him out of her sight. He actually got up in the morning – and went for a run. And when he came back, he found her like she was frantic, like with worry. And so the next morning he snuck downstairs at 5 a.m. to go running. And he only found her waiting dressed in a tracksuit. Oh. And he said, Okay, well, we can go for a <laughs> That's walk so together. Cute. I know. And she said, No, no, you run. And so she just rode a bicycle behind him.
0: Oh my God.
1: She just didn't want him out of her sight. And that became their ritual during the visit. And over the next three years, the two saw each other very often he would go to japan he would bring his mother to washington they became part of each other's families and they each started learning the language of the other and for bruce more than just the joy of connecting with a woman who had loved him so fiercely for 45 years Meeting his mother also helped him find his identity as a Japanese American. Mm. And he said, you know, before that, I had no Japanese American identity. I just had Japanese American features. But as soon as I got integrated in this community, I ended up becoming incredibly proud of this heritage that I had. And sadly, just three years after he and Nobu reconnected in 2009, Nobu passed away mm. from a heart attack. Mm but that's not where the story ends, Jen. Okay. Because before she died, she had given Bruce a slip of paper with his birth father's name on it. And she wrote very carefully in all caps, um, L-O-I-S, Lois Basil, B-A-Z-A-L. And so Bruce didn't think he wanted to make contact with this man. He was like, he had no idea that I even existed. But he was curious. He looked up the military records, and like he had with his mother, he he hit a wall. He figured the name was probably not Lois, L-O-I-S. It was probably Lewis, And so he looked it up that way, but he had no luck. But this was all before his mother had died. And so at the time, he was like, I just want to focus on my relationship with her. Right. You know? And so he let it go until 2016 when he decided to get his DNA tested with Ancestry.com. So Bruce said, growing up and as I went through life, I had a happy life. I always thought I'd never care who my biological mom and dad were. But at the end of the day, you kind of do care. And I always wondered what the Caucasian half of my nationality was. So he found out through Ancestry that half of his ancestors were from East Asia, as he thought, and the rest were from Ireland and Spain. And the results also gave him a connection to possible relatives. And there was a 100% match to a cousin whose last name was Bazaar, B A Z A R. So his mother had confused the R for an L,
0: oh. and so
1: when he was looking it up, he was looking up the last, the wrong last name. Oh my god! And so Bruce emailed this cousin, and he heard back that yes, the cousin did have an uncle who had served in Japan, and that man, Louis Bazaar, had actually passed away oh. in two thousand five. But the cousin said Louis had a son. <gasps> So Bruce got the number and called ime- immediately, but it went to voice message, and so he hung up. He he said he wasn't sure what he was going to say. Bruce said, I was hesitant to reach out because I didn't d- want to disrupt someone's life. I was really nervous, whatever kind of nervous you are for your first date, because this was my brother, and I wouldn't have surprised me if he just said, hey, this is real interesting, but I've got a life. This isn't something I'm interested in at this point, getting to know someone. Mm -hmm. But a few minutes later, his brother, Louis Bizarre Jr., called him back, and Bruce told him, I have a story to tell you, and you might not believe it. So the two talked, and Louis Jr. told him that he'd actually been born before his father had gone to Japan. Whoa. So Bruce was a little... It made him sad because he was like, oh, that's the reason he didn't call because he had been married to someone else. But no, Lewis Jr. told him that his own mother had died in childbirth and that he had been five years old when his father was shipped out. So Lewis Jr. had actually lived with an aunt while his father was away. And so to Bruce, it now made sense why his birth father had waited so long before reaching out to Nobu when he had returned to South Carolina. Like, not only was he making plans to bring her to the United States, which would have been a lot of paperwork at the time, um, but also he had a five-year-old son that he needed to reconnect with. Right. So Lewis Jr. told Bruce – that their father had never remarried he said that when he had been in hospice in 2005 lewis senior had given him a photo album it had pages of photographs of a young japanese woman and his father wouldn't talk about it but lewis jr knew that it meant something it was someone important to him so when bruce had called him it was a shock But now their father's life made a bit more sense. His first wife had died, and the second woman he loved, in his eyes, had rejected him, and he had no idea why. Oh. So Lewis Jr. was actually elated when Bruce asked him, how would you like a younger brother? And he told Bruce, I always wanted a sibling. So the two first met near Lewis Jr.'s home in Gulf Breeze, Florida, for a weekend in 2017. They met each other's family. They got to know each other. And they said that there was like this definite sense on that first weekend that they were siblings. They look alike. Bruce said the first time I was at his house, he cooked steak for us. We found we both ate them the same way. We both were reaching for the hot sauce to put on our foods. It was just very a lot of very similar things. And Lewis says we're like two different sides of a coin. And after that meeting, the brother's they talk on the phone regularly, they visit when they can, and they've gone very close. And Bruce said, I feel like I keep hitting the lottery. I never thought I'd meet my mom. And to go meet my mom and find out she's really cool, then I get to find out that I have an older brother and meet him. It's like hitting the lottery once again. Oh,
0: oh my God. I love that. Wow. That's
1: like a movie. I know. And Bruce says, he's like, I, I wouldn't believe it if somebody else told me the story, but I lived it and it's true. So makes me happy Aww. that they found each other and that they have a relationship. Yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Dude, where do you find all these stories?
1: Um, I, I just keep Googling and Googling different things until something cool comes up.
0: <laughs> great job. Yeah. Great job. We're really doing Thanks. a great job today, I have to say. <laughs> We're doing a real good job. let's close it up strong. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Should we do something dumb and something we love to close this puppy up? Let's do it, man. Okay. Why not?
1: Why not just follow our formula?
0: Wonderful.
1: (laughs) Why reinvent the wheel at this point,
0: Jen? We're 73 episodes in. I know. (laughs) Let's just keep doing what we've been doing. I guess for something dumb. Well, okay. So I'm listening to this podcast that is not dumb. And I would tell everyone to listen. It's called Broken Seeking Justice. And I know we've all heard all of the podcasts about Jeffrey Epstein. We all think we know everything about Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Um, But this podcast is going after... All of the people and Jeffrey Epstein's dead. This is another one of those examples of like somebody that committed suicide, and but it's still it's like he took the coward's way out, and did or did he? I think he did because he set up his finances so that he put all of his money overseas so that all of his um, victims couldn't get any kind of restitution. It was like a final fuck you. Yeah, he's a real big asshole, but this podcast. It's an um, investigative journalist that is tracking down all of the people that supported him and helped him get away with what he got away with. So holding people accountable, like Ghislaine Maxwell and people that worked for him, like his butlers, his cooks, his chefs, people that turned a blind eye to these horrific things that he was doing to these young girls. And so- that's the something dumb. Is something dumb is that there are still so many people just not being held accountable and living their lives, even though yeah. he he couldn't have he couldn't have done what he did without the the support and the blind eye of so many people it's just pilots right. that were flying these girls around, you know. And the not
1: blind eye people who just knew and were like,
0: okay, with uh, yeah, benefiting from exactly, yeah, and, 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 and who also yeah. abuse these girls. Yeah. So
1: I just read. I read an article that was really interesting. It was about it. I thought you this might be the same reporter, but this was a reporter who got a copy of his of his black book. Mm-hmm. It was like on I don't know on the internet <laughs> at some point somebody somebody released it and honestly and he called every person in the black book. Oh wow! And it's really interesting. I mean, and got a lot of really interesting information and a lot of the people were like i mean just a, it's a really it was a really um i hadn't i hadn't followed super closely because it's just so sad right but um but yeah it was just like you know this idea of it's not like he was some amazing smart guy who had power over people people gave him the power yeah. they they are all just a bunch of corrupt people who we're in on it you know it was really it was it's very interesting anyway so i'm i would like to listen to this podcast what's the name again it's
0: called broken seeking justice okay it yeah it's really good times very hard to listen to but it's it's a good podcast and the other yeah. thing that i love besides this podcast that's great but um the other thing that i love is there's this show i you know it's funny is they're, they're in they just finished a third season. I think that they're making a fourth season now. I'd watched like a couple of episodes of it a long time ago and I liked it, but I just never really followed through with it. But now yeah. I'm like 100% binging. Like, holy shit, the show is so good! It's called Search Party. Have you watched it? No, I'm I, the same. I, I
1: watched. couple episodes and the same i was like oh i like this but then i know everybody was like it's so good i just never again never
0: followed through on it i didn't realize that it was written by michael ian black and um Mm -hmm. it's also and it's produced by michael showalter who you know from the state so if you love that kind of humor and it's so good and it's what's funny is that there's all these people that i know that just keep popping up in episodes, like with like smaller parts, and then like right. in every episode, I'm like, oh hey, it's you oh hey, it's this, part. and then there's one person which is funny because you know we're comedians, so all the people that I see in the show are all comedians that pop right. up in these small bit parts, but one character that popped up was a girl who is an actress now. Well, she's been an actress for a long time, but I grew up on the same street as her on Long Island. Yeah. Her name's Katie. Well, like a block away from her name's Katie McGuire and she's an actress and I hadn't seen her in forever. I'm like, even Katie McGuire's in the show. Everybody's in the show. (laughs) Why am I not in this show? Right. (laughs) But it's so, um, but the writing is so good and it's so funny. And but also dramatic. I don't know. I give it a shot. But I've just been binging it all three yeah. seasons. Well, I'm
1: looking for a new show. I'm 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 gonna try it. I forgot about it. So yeah, I'm back. Highly in.
0: recommend. Back in baby. Yeah. How about you? What's something dumb? Something you love? Okay. Something dumb is
1: uh the election. I just am. I'm like. I'm, as everybody, it's like total fatigue and anxiousness. And you guys might be listening to this, and you know what happened. But we are recording this on Friday. Yeah, we don't. And and this is just like a personal. Um, this is like how to make this about me and not about you know this the fate of the world. Is that it's my birthday as election day, and so oh my god, a, it is. Yeah. Whoa. And I, yeah, and I. I mean, this has happened before. It usually it falls either right on election day or like near it, but it, yeah, just, um.
0: Is that why you, always, it's oh on. wait, I guess we shouldn't talk. Is that why you have some certain things that you might be doing on the, that during yes. that time that we shall yeah, not where speak I, of? like I'm, yep. Oh, <laughs> I had no idea. That's I just great, always Jen. thought you were one of those like unicorns that didn't have birthdays. Well, I don't. I mean, I don't age. <laughs> but I do like to celebrate. Well, we're gonna um, celebrate, dude. Oh man,
1: <laughs> now it's on. Yeah, but it's like, oh man, what a day. I am it's
0: oh man, what are you gonna do? If I were you, I would just um sedate yeah. yourself. Like so,
1: so Ben and I are like, we're at opposite ends, which I'm sure this happens in a lot of partnerships. Is that like he we're both incredibly anxious about this election and my anxiety forces me to like just want to stick my head in the sand and not hear anything until we know what happens mm-hmm. and his anxiety is makes him obsess and watch every single thing about it and so so we're really at odds here <laughs> we're really at odds like in 2016 he stayed up all night and I went to bed at like nine it was just like wake me up when you know something uh, And then he never woke me up and I was like oh this is the worst yeah
0: i'm still like <laughs> from last year i think did we already talk about this Or uh, last year last election i had a bunch of women over all comics we were like ready to celebrate had the bottles yeah. of champagne and then yeah and then it was just like slowly one by one everybody left yeah, I, mean, I, well, I
1: was just, I was just reminiscing with my friend Andrea, because, you know, we were in New York City, and she had the opportunity to go to a, like, basically, it was, like, to be outside at the convention, I don't know, I, the convention center where Hillary was having her party, yeah. you know, you know, that where they were doing, like, the results party, so she was, like, g- had a ticket to go to this thing, and I think it was, like, to be on the outside of it, but, like, be There and she was like, We both had six months old, six month old kids, and she was like, It's gonna be cold, it's gonna be a lot of waiting around. Should I go? And I was like, This is history, yeah, go be a part of history. You have to do it. I wish I could go. That's so amazing. And then she's like texting me throughout the night, like, This is the saddest, it really thing I've was. I've been to, and she was just like, Oh my god, it was so awful.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I think I'm, I have PTSD, and so yeah. I think. Man, I'm sorry. Like, let's re. Let's pick a different day for your birthday, right? <laughs> I know. Let's let's just pick a day that's not that day, and then we'll do something else. <laughs> we'll do something, something else. real yes. fun, super
1: super duper fun. Um, so that's you know that's the dumb thing. I think that's dumb for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a very fraught time, and but the thing that I love is. A podcast. Um We yeah, love lots of things. But this week, I love our podcast and also a podcast called Kelly Corrigan Wonders. Ah. Do you know, – I think I may have talked about Kelly Corrigan before. She is an author. She writes these really amazing memoirs. They're so relatable and accessible and she's funny and she's really – every time I read something of hers, I'm like – yes yeah you know like yes that i think that too that's like that's like my life you know it just is she's just a very really relatable uh-huh. and she writes these really accessible memoirs about uh, you know like her family and and being a mother and being a daughter and she had cancer and all of these different things that um, i highly recommend her memoirs but so she now she has this podcast where she just basically is like talking to really other interesting people and they're talking about kind of big questions and like the first month she's going through all these tropes and saying like let's kind of like let's dismantle these things one of them is everything happens for a reason uh-huh. and uh, trust. Should you trust your gut? And I mean, they're just, they're just really, or never give up. Is that really something <laughs> that we want to tell people to never give up? <laughs> right. So anyway, I just, I really, well, like what did it they and- say
0: about um, everything happens for a reason?
1: Well, they're just, does like, it, that's,
0: does you know, it, it doesn't (laughs) well yeah no god damn it yeah i live my whole life by that like well yeah everything happens for a reason
1: (laughs) or just like you know there is value in doing the right thing and being kind and being uh you know being a good person but also that doesn't guarantee you that doesn't give you a ticket to happiness and good things happening to you. Right. But there's still value in it, right? So, you know, a lot of good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people and there's not, you have no, there's no guarantee. Like living your life a certain way is no guarantee that you're going to get something good, but you should still do it.
0: (laughs) So, All right. You know,
1: and I, I find that actually more comforting than just some like force it's like a hand that's making things tip the scale one way or the other, right? So it's like you are the master of your own fate, uh,
0: but being the master of my own fate is exhausting. <laughs> oh.
1: I want somebody I else like, to I just do it,
0: my, but do it right I, and everything makes sense. Want my, my vision board <laughs> to make things happen. Come on, universe! Um, I mean, I still have a vision board. <laughs> so I do believe. It. <laughs> Well, Focus awesome. Right. I will definitely check that podcast out. Yeah, I love sounds- it. All
1: right. There well, we have it. I hope you guys had a great Halloween, a spooky, safe, weird year Halloween. And I hope everybody is doing well this week and keeping whatever you need to keep your anxiety in check. Jen will probably be under her weighted blanket. I will. Um, I will be hiding somewhere, not at my house and, uh, Ben will be obsessively watching TV. So whatever you need to do, I hope you're able to do it. <laughs> um, you guys check us out. If you want to contact us, you can find us on Instagram at dumb love podcast. You can email us at dumb at gmail.com and you can find us on Patreon Yeah, at dumb love podcast. I think I don't. Know.
0: Yep. That is, yep. that is correct. These are truths. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you guys so much for listening. We dumb love you so much, and get out there safely and do something dumb for love.